Tanya Heller and I, Wendy Perlin, are inviting you to listen to Clear Your Messages, our podcast focusing on effective communication and leadership. One small change in a message can make a crucial impact. We will be bringing you stories, anecdotes, and conversations with experienced professionals to learn from the best of the best. I'm Tanya Heller, and I'm excited to be speaking with Barbara Friedman, who has extensive experience communicating with clients and professionals within the business world, as well as in her community work. Barbara is the Executive Vice President of Home Actions, a company that provides newsletters for real estate professionals. In the past, she's managed sales for 13 offices with Alston Temporary Services, a family-owned franchise. She's also been active in her community, heading the catering committee for a large synagogue where she regularly organized and cooked suppers for 200 people and serving on the boards of her daughter's schools. A fun fact is that many years ago, Barbara worked on Capitol Hill for then-Senator Biden. Thank you for joining us, Barbara. Thank you for having me. Barbara, you and I have spoken about your goals in working with real estate professionals and developing newsletters for them. From what I understand, it's about creating a connection with the clients through offering meaningful content so that one can build trust. In real estate, you're probably entering one of the largest transactions most people will make in their entire lifetime. It's a huge deal, and we all know it. And it can be scary, especially if you're a first-time buyer without a whole lot of history behind you. It's very important for the real estate agent you're working with to be seen as a source of information and education for you and not a salesperson. But what we do with these newsletters is this is not a a sales pitch newsletter. Look what I've done. You can put that in there, but it doesn't serve your purpose. The purpose is education. The purpose is to create a brand to make sure that clients and prospective clients know that you're the source. You know what's ticking. You know what's going on in your geographic area. You know about trends. You know about mortgage rates. You know about the different kinds of mortgages. You can educate them and you can make them help them make a sounder decision. That's what it's all about. That's the trust. And when you've got that going for yourself with a prospective client, then you have it made because they will recommend you to family and friends. They'll feel confident about it. So it's really, you're saying about offering the client's value. Absolutely. How do you see this translate to other fields or industries? We're talking about real estate, but I'm sure the same holds true for other fields. It's the same dynamic. We also offer newsletters for the CPA field, for payroll, for estate planning lawyers. And it's the same thing. You want to be seen as the source for knowledge. You want to be able to know that your clients will be kept up to date. They may not even be in the position at that moment to buy a house or to prepare a will or needing a new CPA, but it's there. It's always there in in the back of their mind that you're presenting more and more knowledge to them and the comfort level rises more and more and they they will eventually turn to you. Now, if you see a newsletter as a way of getting new clients immediately, it isn't. It's a branding and it happens over time. And for all of us and for clients, there's so much information out there that can be overwhelming. So if there's someone who can curate it and put it together, it could be. Exactly, especially if you're new to the field. 
Do you have any tips or advice for professionals who may be interested in providing newsletters to clients? What should they keep in mind? It's important to have your data organized. And what you're looking for in a newsletter provider is someone that will keep you organized, someone that will help you remember. It's just just not a one-time thing. You have to do this monthly or bi-monthly, adding the new email addresses all the time. You have to make sure that you don't buy a purchase or what we call in the business a harvested list, because what that will do is throw your numbers off entirely because those harvested lists tend to get kicked out in the launch. They get rejected. And it sounds like it's so much about consistency as well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, you want to be able to be with us in a situation like we have an, we have editors and we have writers, that are on our staff and we have a whole library of articles that people can choose from, or we can choose them for you if you, if you kind of want to do a set it and forget it newsletter. I advise you not to, because the more involved you want it, the more it shows you in it. And that's important. You're also more than welcome to write your own articles. So again, when you work with clients, for example, real estate agents, you helping them to put together content, useful content, and helping them to brand themselves. And brand themselves. I learned that from a very smart real estate agent. She taught me about branding and she was absolutely right. We always communicating and you helping agents and companies communicate in a written form. What do you see as some of the traits of someone who communicates well? I learned this a really long time ago in my early 20s, and I have lived by it personally, I hope, with my kids, and I think in business also. It's if you if you can't say something in the way in which the other person can tolerate hearing it, then it's really just all about you getting it off your chest or wanting to stick it to somebody, neither of which gets you where you want to be. Absolutely. And people may become defensive, and then they don't hear right. what you have to say. Exactly. Can you tell me, Barbara, a little bit about your community work? It sounds like you've done some interesting things. I have. I was very lucky. I came from a very community-minded family. Both my parents were very much involved in the Jewish community in Delaware, where I grew up in Wilmington. My parents were very involved in fundraising, and it taught me a lot, you know, that you can make a difference. You can make change. You can set up a... a I think most importantly, you can maintain a a community for your children and their children, but you have to do something. You just can't sit and let somebody else do it for you or hope they'll do it for you. And it's very important to me that my child, my children have the opportunities. They may not make the same choices I've made, but at least they have the opportunity to have the choices I've had. Have you always been a leader? I don't know. In certain areas, maybe in the kitchen, probably but certainly not in business. My husband always says, are you a leader or a follower? That's his question of everyone. It looks like those traits have emerged though, right? It sounds like you enjoy it. I think so. Uh So I was talking about your role initially as executive vice president of Home Actions. Mm -hmm. And you going back, we're talking about some of these community activities where you were saying you gained a lot of the skill sets. Were there any other activities, maybe serving on the school boards, where you felt you gained skills that have helped you in communication or in your leadership now? Yeah, I, th- I think that the school board things that I did were more organizationally oriented, getting the school newsletters together and the school functions and the celebrations that you had in school and learning how to pitch to the teacher's strengths and not point out what they may not have done that day for your child that was so brilliant right. and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. 
What do you think are some of the good traits of an effective leader? What leadership skills do you feel you need to employ in being more effective? From my perspective, from my personal style and just the way I'm wired, for me, the most important thing is to have someone leave a conversation or a meeting with me feeling heard. I may not agree with them. I may not put the okay on the plan they want to put forth, but I want them to feel heard. I think that's so important because don't you feel sometimes we want to fix things if someone comes with a problem or they upset, but people sometimes just want someone to listen. Right. I often end my meetings with, okay, guys, is there anything else you think I need to know? And sometimes they say no, or something, you know, Barbara, I forgot to tell you X. Right. Barbara, can you share an anecdote about working for then Senator Joe Biden? A nice man. He's a smart man. How young were you? I was very young. I I was, he was, I think, 29. He, he was 29 and hadn't quite turned 30, which he had to be before he became a senator. That's that's the law. He was 30 by the time he was sworn in. And it was a, a very difficult time in his life. He had literally, the month or so before, just been widowed. His daughter, his baby daughter, Naomi, and his wife, Nelia, had been killed in a, in a terrible car crash in Delaware. And, you know, there was... His sons were in intensive care in Children's Hospital in Wilmington in the in the uh, PRS Depot Children's Center, and there were some very good men. They 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 came and sort of huddled with him and said, "We're going to hold your hand. We're going to help you get through this." And then you decide in six months you still want to leave. Okay, we'll support you. Mike Mansfield was there. Ted Kennedy was there, and he had good he had good good senator friends there. That's during the time that you were interning. That was just before I came into the picture. I came in a couple of months later. But what was nice about his staff, he had an old political sawhorse from West Barthelmas who headed his his administrative people. He allowed me to do things that more established senators wouldn't have, wouldn't have, they were stuck in the mailroom and said, you know, earn your stripes, kid. But they but they allowed me to write. I wrote an awful lot of his condolence letters. He allowed me to write some speeches for his sister, Valerie Biden, especially when she spoke to the Jewish community, because I knew all of them coming from Delaware. And he allowed me to write little pieces of legislation. He must have had a lot of faith in your writing abilities. Did you have some experience writing speeches? I'm not so sure he had a lot of faith, but he had he knew how to give a young person a shot. And, um, And I wasn't the best one in the office and I wasn't the worst one. But boy, I was the most appreciative. You know, I, it was just, oh, my gosh, I was there during Watergate. Can you imagine this 21-year-old kid there during Watergate? My God. Everyone just needs a chance sometimes. Yes, everyone needs a chance. And some people need a second chance. And we should all be cognizant of that. Absolutely. I wanted to go through a few rapid fire questions as we sure. usually do. Barbara, what's the best advice you've ever received? I think we talked about it earlier. The best advice was to speak to people in a way in which they can tolerate hearing it. If you have to say something difficult so that it doesn't become all about you being being able to stick it to them, because you can. If it's really about changing the situation and making it better, then you better be able to figure out how to say it so that they can tolerate it. Otherwise, keep your mouth shut. And what's the worst advice you ever received? The worst advice is really self-prescribed. My husband is an amazing businessman, very successful at what he at all the different kinds of things he's done. I think he's terrific. And I always thought to be a successful business person, you had to be like Barry. And so I just sort of tried that outfit on for a while. And it was a disaster. 
you know, he's sort of tough and kind of, he can get away with it because he's always been like that. And that's who he is. And I finally had a come to Moses moment and figured out that Barry's good for Barry. But Barbara has to find Barbara. Such an interesting point, because I often ask about leadership styles and what you think might be the best one, but that may not be the right question. It may be what's the best leadership style for you. Right. I don't think that there's a style to emulate other than being honest and those kinds of more salient pieces. But I think that you have to be authentic. You have to be authentic. And that gives you the foundation to grow and build on. What leadership style works best for you then? I think my my probably my better skill sets are being intuitive, being empathetic, but not being a dishrag about it. You have to have boundaries. Learn how to gracefully set a boundary. What do you see as your biggest success? What are you most proud of? This is going to sound kind of corny, but it's the truth. Um, my husband was a widower when we married, and I had not been married before, nor did I have children. And we had a, we had a, have a beautiful daughter together, Katie. But I'm the mother of a, blend, a successfully blended family, and it was a lot of work. And I had and I had the support of a spouse, which most women don't have. And although we we struggled together, but we did it together. And I'm the most proud of the fact that we have a wonderful family, and I was part of that. That's my biggest accomplishment. What would you change about your professional journey if you could? Is there anything you would have changed? What would I change? I would have hoped to have developed more self-confidence earlier on in my life. And I I wish that pleasing people wasn't so important to me earlier on in my life. It was really, really important. And and I think that made me struggle a bit. Hopefully I've learned from it. But I think that, especially in, in business, I took over my, helped to take over my father's business. He died when I was 21. And I was the ultimate daddy's girl. You know, I just adored my father. And it it eliminated other possibilities because I felt indebted to making this work for him and to carry on. And I, and I took those emotional feelings of being a good girl and kind of sometimes putting my, putting my square peg into a round hole. You said that you were a people pleaser. You always wanted to please everyone. And do you feel differently now just understanding that we can't always please everyone? I do. And part of that is I'm lucky... I'm very lucky and very appreciative of the fact that I have a really wonderful marriage with someone that supports me and thinks I'm terrific. God only knows why, but he does. And that takes the edge off of that. It really does. It it calms that that fire in you of pleasing everybody all the time. That just being you is okay, is way good enough. I know I don't feel that way all the time, but I feel that way a lot more than I did 30 years ago, 35 years ago. everyone needs at least one person like that, right? Right. Or else it's a hard slog. And truth of the matter is, we may all need at least one person, but we all don't get one person. It's important that that person is someone you respect. Is there a book that you especially enjoyed or would recommend that others read? You know, I really love books about, and whether it's documentaries or um, novels about 1930s through probably 45, 50. I love that time period. I think that there were so many important things that were going on then. And the world changed forever. And we all changed forever. And I think two of the books from that genre that I really probably read twice, and maybe more, one was The Auschwitz Escape by Joel Rosenberg. Amazing. It clearly took it from a perspective of, uh, I didn't even think about before priests that help people and 
townspeople that help people. I had a much more myopic view of it. And and the other one was a real eye-opener for me. It was Stones from the River by Ursula Hagee. Oh. She wrote other books afterwards. I don't think they were quite as good. This one was excellent. We've got to look up those two books. Thank you for that. Barbara, I don't know if you have much free time, but what do you love to do when you do have free time? I love needlepoint. And I've done it since I was probably 14 years old. And I'm always, I always have a project going. And I love old movies. And I, and I often love them both together. Yeah, I was going to ask, are you one of these people who can multitask and take a call yeah. while you needlepoint while you watch a movie? Yeah, I am. That's me. I love it. You know, I wouldn't get on a plane without it because I hate to fly. I never don't have a piece with me. They let you take that needlepoint on the plane? They do now. I can't take my scissors, so I pre-cut but I can take my needle. (laughs) Oh, that's good. What advice would you give to someone starting their career? You know, some of the advice I would give is is kind of the trite advice. And it's trite because it's true. I think that you need to be flexible. I think that, you know, you don't have to hit out of the ballpark the first time. And I think that you need to take that you need to learn from whatever job you are, whether you're flipping burgers or making beds. There's always something within that confine of of job to learn from, whether it's an organizational skill or whether it's how to to deal with with customers, whatever it is, there's something there to learn. Do it, learn it, take it with you. You don't have to treasure the job, but treasure what you're going to get, the piece that you can learn from it. And that's really important. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. You will learn more from your mistakes than you will ever learn from your successes because mistakes sting more. And they stay with you longer and harder. They really do. Do what, what at the end of the day makes you happy. And I'm not sure even happy is the right word, but makes you feel so you've accomplished something that you feel fulfilled about. If you're doing accounting work and you really want to be a painter, I don't know how you get through the next 50 years, unless you can paint a lot on the weekends. At the end of the day, you have to feel good about what you do. And if you don't, it's a really long, hard slog. That's good advice. Thank you, Barbara, for joining us today. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to Clear Your Messages. Tanya, thank you so much for interviewing Barbara Friedman. It was a wonderful interview to listen to her experiences and her thoughts. A theme that we've seen between a lot of the people that we've interviewed is that they wish that they had taken more risks or been braver at the beginning of their careers. And I find that so interesting that people keep bringing that topic up. And uh, I hope that when there's people at the beginning of their career listening to this podcast, they could heed that advice to step out of their comfort zone. It's just a message that I would love to tell everyone at the start of their career. Don't be afraid to explore different opportunities and that your career path may veer in a different direction that you never thought about. Right. It's so important to be alert to those opportunities that may present themselves. I would agree. I'm very much looking forward to interviewing others in the community and learning about the beginnings of their career moving forward. 